listening to audio from Faith Church, located on the north side of Indianapolis. If you'd like to check out more information about our church and ministry, please visit faithchurchindy.com. This morning's scripture reading comes from the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 13, verses 44 to 58, and can be found on page 974 of the Black Bible underneath the seat in front of you if you'd like to follow along. Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 to 58, Jesus speaking, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. And so it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw, men, throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? They said to him, yes, and he said to them, therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. And when Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there and coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When I was a kid, I chewed a lot of bad bubble gum in search of a treasure. Uh, when I was in grade school and, and probably a little into junior high, uh, I don't know if this is still a thing, but uh, we, my friends and I would get baseball cards. We would, you know, I don't even remember now. It was like maybe 25 cents, 50 cents for a pack of baseball cards. Is that still a thing? Did anybody still, any of you, maybe, no? Some, yeah, understandably, because you spent like 25 or 50 cents, you get a half a dozen baseball cards and some of the worst bubble gum ever manufactured. It tasted like Pepto-Bismol, and I think it had the same consistency as the cardboard that the baseball cards were made out of. But uh, we suffered through it, hoping to find something special, because, you know, maybe you'd find a really valuable one. Right? Like you, you grew up kind of hearing these stories about a Mickey Mantle rookie card that was worth tens of thousands of dollars. And, uh, you know, man, what, what could you do with money like that? Right? Like I could buy a really cool bike. Maybe I could save money to have a car someday. And, and so we'd chew through this horrible gum and sort through cards, hoping to find, you know, maybe some guy who was going to be the next hot thing or some rare, unique misprint card that was, you know, valuable to collectors or whatever. But, um, the reality is I, I liked baseball, but I wasn't that into it when I was younger. I didn't even really want the cards the more I thought about it. I, I kind of just wanted what they offered, what they represented, right? Like some 
treasure, something I could trade them in for to get something more valuable that would, that would make life good. But after a while, I also realized the only way these things would become treasures is if I, you know, like collected a bunch of them and held on to them for a bunch of years and, you know, put them in a shoebox and moved them around to all the different places I lived. And I just said, you know what, it's, it's not worth it. Forget it. Especially not for that terrible bubble gum. But, but there's something about that that speaks to us. This idea of finding something that turns out to be a huge treasure. Something that could change my life. Something that could give me a future. Something that could, you know, redirect the, the course of how I live and, and what I'm able to do. I mean, that, what a find that would be, right? Like, that's why we watch Antiques Roadshow right? Because maybe I've got some teapot in my attic that's worth $50,000. I mean, who knows? Whatever it is. The lottery ticket, you know, that, that would change everything. The, the career success, the romance, the acceptance, the experience, whatever it is that would make life good. I, I resonate with hope like that, that, that there's something out there, an amazing find that's going to change my life and redirect my future and give me security. I think that's really what Jesus is getting at in the passage that we just heard for us today. This idea that there is a treasure that's worth having. And Jesus is saying God's kingdom is the treasure that's worth everything. God's kingdom is the treasure that's worth everything. If you haven't, go ahead and open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. We're going to be starting in verse 44. Just a real quick recap. Matthew has been telling us this story of Jesus' life, how he's the king who has come to bring into inauguration all of God's plans and purposes. He's the one that all those Old Testament promises point to. And he's going to set up this kingdom, this rule of God on earth where uh, he will save people from sin and establish under the, him under, establish them under his good leadership and direction and, and do good for them. But we've seen this kingdom isn't maybe what we would expect, right? There, there's a kind of hiddenness and quietness to this kingdom. Many people don't have eyes to see it or ears to understand it. The message of this kingdom we saw last week is like seed that gets scattered on all different kinds of soil. And some respond and some don't respond. The the kingdom, as, as Jesus said in a couple of parables that we don't have time to really dig into is like a a tiny mustard seed that starts out small and grows to become one of the biggest trees. It's it's like yeast that works its way through the whole lump of dough. It's it's not very impressive, is it? I mean, it's kind of quiet and, and slow and hidden. And so it tempts us maybe to wonder, is it really worth it? Is this actually doing anything? Because frankly, I'd rather have a kingdom. I'd rather have a king that's more obvious, that's more powerful, that's more impressive, that, you know, gets stuff done quickly, right? Like, let's get this kingdom stuff going, Jesus. Bring on the blessings and the transformation. 
And I'm not sure I want a king who's opposed and misunderstood and rejected because I'm not sure that's what I want in my life, if I'm being honest. And through these teachings, through these parables, Jesus is trying to get his disciples, he's trying to get us to know that though his kingdom isn't obvious, though it isn't impressive from the outside, it is the greatest treasure you can have. Jesus' kingdom is the treasure worth everything. Let's jump into our text. Jesus starts with this parable, this picture from everyday life that, that Jesus uses to talk about something more significant. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and then covered up. And in his joy, he went and sold all that he had to buy the field. So Jesus takes actually not an unlikely example. A guy's out, maybe he's a farmhand, he's plowing the field, or maybe he's just walking along. And somehow he uncovers this treasure that's buried underground. Now, in those days, they didn't have banks and they didn't have vaults. And so in a land that was frequently subject to marauders and invading armies, you would take your treasure and typically put it in a big clay pot buried underground and hope that when the difficulty passes, you can go back and dig it up. But of course, a lot of times things changed and people weren't able to go back and dig up the treasure. So that's the idea Jesus is building off. This guy discovers this treasure that is more valuable than anything else he has. In fact, it's worth giving up everything that he has to buy this field in order to get the treasure. Jesus says that's what the kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven is a treasure that causes a a joyful reorientation in our lives. And, and he tells a second story that sounds a little similar to this one. This guy just seems to stumble across the treasure. He's, he's not looking for it, but this other guy is actually seeking for it in verse 45. Like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. So in this case, the guy's actively seeking it. He's looking for it. And Jesus is saying that's, again, what the kingdom of heaven is like. Some people just sort of almost stumble across discovering Jesus accidentally. Like maybe it seemed like a random conversation or a postcard shows up in the mail inviting you to an Easter service or a friend invites you to church. Other times it may be finding Jesus as a result of searching and seeking and studying religion and philosophy and, and asking questions. But in both cases, these guys look at what Jesus is offering and they say, this is worth more than everything that I have. It's worth reorienting my life around. Now, it's important when we hear these stories that we get something clear. Jesus is not saying that we can buy our way into God's kingdom. We, we cannot earn our way. It's not a bargain that Jesus is offering us. He's just taking an everyday, ordinary situation and using it to relate to a bigger truth. We, we don't come to God with something to offer him. We, we come to him empty-handed. We, we come to him bringing humility and, and our brokenness and our burdens and he gives us rest, and he gives us life. And Jesus' point is that everyone who finds that in him sees that 
everything else they have pales in comparison. Being part of Jesus' kingdom means I'm putting everything else in secondary place in order to draw close to him. Because the people who find Jesus willingly, even joyfully, reorient their lives around him. I I know it worked that way in my life and, and probably for many of you. I grew up going to church but didn't really come to know Jesus until I was in my early 20s. And, and I went from not even owning a Bible to saying, I've got to, I want to know more about this God. I, I, I'm, I know my wisdom is not going to help me live the life that God has called me into and given me. I, I need to know what he says to me. I, I went from thinking that, you know, the best thing I could do on a weekend is staying up on Saturday nights and partying and, and then sleeping through a hangover on Sunday morning to saying, Man, I I can't wait to be in worship with God's people on Sunday morning, to sing God's praises and and to grow in knowing him. I I went from thinking, you know, the the best thing I could have, I want to build a kingdom on, you know, career advancement and climbing the corporate ladder and and, and being a vice president or president of something someday and, and having everything that goes with it to saying, man, if I have Jesus and he gives me stuff that I can use to give away to others in need, to, to help spread his word, to advance his kingdom, man, what a, what a blessing that would be. And, and whether I have a lot or a little, the, the main thing is that I have Jesus. But Because you see, to have Jesus is to find the treasure that's worth everything that, that we would build our lives around. It means we've come to the point of, of knowing that I've been freed from the the guilt and the condemnation for for all the wrong that I've done. It it means I have an identity in him because of what he's done, and and I'm righteous and loved by the Father because of Jesus and not because of anything I'm producing. To, To treasure Jesus means I start to see how all the things that grab hold of my heart and and try and choke out God's life in me, the power of them starts to get broken because I'm treasuring Jesus in in the middle of everything else and in contrast to all those other idols of my heart that start to get dethroned and the power of them broken and, and Jesus frees me now to love as I've been loved and to forgive as I've been forgiven. And when we discover that, We joyfully build our lives around living in that kind of a kingdom, living in that kind of a reality. And and listen, this part about how the guy joyfully gives up everything else. Jesus is not saying like, this is something you need to manufacture, right? Like I'm commanding you to joyfully let go of everything else, right? He's he's not giving us another burden. He's saying "This, this is what happens as we see Jesus and treasure him and and reflect more and more and live more and more in the truth of who he is and and what he's done for us. It's not something you have to work yourself up into any more than the the guy in the field had to work himself up into thinking, man, if I could go sell all my stuff and scrape together my savings, I can get this treasure that's worth a billion dollars, right? Like if if somebody offers to sell you a Rolls Royce for $100, are you going to complain about having to go find $100? I mean, I don't have any money on me, but I'll be back in an hour, okay? I'm going to call everyone I know and scrape together the money to get that thing. 
because it's worth far more than, than what I'm being asked to give up to have it. This is what we experience when, when we see Jesus and his kingdom for, for what they really are. It creates people who hold loosely to the kinds of things that this world, the culture, the society tends to value and tell us to prioritize and love and treasure. Jesus' kingdom creates joyful reorientation because when we're full, when our hearts are full, we don't have to joyfully, we don't have to hungrily grasp after something to fill us up. You have a better, a more lasting, a satisfaction in Jesus that all the other things that, that we're being asked to leave behind can't produce anyway. Jesus' kingdom is the treasure that's worth everything. And it's the treasure that brings blessing. It's a treasure that brings true blessing and fulfillment. Look in, we're going to skip down past verse 47 and come back to it in a few minutes. But jump down to verse 51. After Jesus finishes talking in these parables about the kingdom, he asks his disciples, have you understood all these things? And, oh man, just par for the course. Yeah, of course we have, they say. Not a chance, right? Because, you know, as we go on in later chapters, we're going to discover, you know, people are trying to get close to Jesus to hear him and the disciples are shooing them away. Go away, don't bother him. And, you know, when Jesus says he's going to go to Jerusalem and, and suffer and die as a sacrifice for sin, they try and tell him, no, no, that's not what your kingdom is like. So, no, they, they don't get it. But they believe what they have understood. They at least believe the part that they've understood. And more than that, they're ready to act on it. That's what Jesus is getting at when he says, Okay, fine. You understand, therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom, which is Jesus' followers, if you've understood these things, you're like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. Jesus is saying, look, I, as I've told you, I've, I'm not come to demolish God's word. I'm not come to supersede God's commandments or, or God's purposes. In fact, I've come to fulfill them. I'm the, I'm the fulfillment of all those promises and everything that God intended. But, but I'm also bringing a newness in our relationship with God, right? Like we, we don't go to a temple to worship God now because Jesus is the meeting place of heaven and earth. We don't offer sacrifices for sin because Jesus is the once and for all sacrifice. We, we don't come before God trembling and fearful because Jesus has opened a new and living way by which we boldly approach God's throne. We live in the confidence of the sons and daughters of God in fulfillment of everything that God has promised. And now even with the Holy Spirit coming to live inside of us to, to bring new hope, new life, new power to walk in this way. And out of that abundance, Abundance of treasures. We bring out the blessings that we have received to enrich others. Do you, do you see that? To, to pass on the, the message and the offer of the kingdom that's been entrusted to us. If we have been blessed by Jesus, we are now blessed and empowered to bless others. 
Because Jesus' kingdom is the treasure that brings blessing to our lives so that it would flow out to others. You know, about 25 years ago, um, my wife Amelia started working in nursery, volunteering on weekday mornings for women's Bible study at the church that we were part of at the time. And that's where she met Jennifer. Jennifer and her husband, Bill, are a little uh, ahead of us in terms of sort of their life station. They're maybe 10, 15 years older. And Jennifer quickly became a friend to Amelia. And out of her wisdom and her experience and her having walked with Jesus longer, Jennifer and Bill became friends of ours who have just, for the last two and a half decades, continually poured encouragement and wisdom and at times had to you know, get in our faces and hold us accountable for things and challenge us on stuff when we were going crazy. And, and we've been able to do that for one another. And out of the richness of their lives and their walking with Jesus and their treasuring him, they've been able to offer that to us. That's what Jesus is picturing here. That, that's who we are. We are the people, if we belong to Jesus, who have been blessed and enriched and now have treasures old and new to bring out, to give to others. Because Jesus calls us to believe and to treasure and to share the blessing of his kingdom. But sadly, not everyone does that. Matthew goes on to say in verse 53, when he had finished saying these things, he went away from there and came to his hometown and taught in their synagogue so that they were astonished. And they said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? I mean, that sounds encouraging. They're, they're amazed, right? But they didn't believe in him. And questions are not bad. Questions are fine, but these were cynical and suspicious, unbelieving questions. Look in verse 55. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother Mary? Aren't his, aren't his brothers and his sisters here with us? When, where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. They meant, you know what? He, he's not from an important family. He's not a Pharisee. He's not a scribe. He's not a teacher of the law. Who does he think he is? Jesus' response to this hard-hearted, suspicious pride in two ways. Look in verse 57. First, he warns them not to let their familiarity with him blind them to who he really is. A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. You know, there can be a danger for us in coming to church over and over and over and hearing the same stories and thinking, oh, I know that. I know that. I, I know. I know exactly what Jesus would say here. I know. I, yeah, I don't need to listen to that. I know who Jesus is. And not let ourselves be challenged and stretched and grown in our faith and in what Jesus might be saying to us in our lives in this moment, in this situation. But second, then, he lets them experience the consequences of their unbelief. In verse 58, he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Now, let's be clear. Jesus is clearly capable of performing miracles regardless of whether people have faith or not. I mean, he feeds a crowd of 5,000 miraculously. And I don't think there's 
We're not meant to believe that all 5,000 of those people were trusting and loving Jesus. He refuses to perform miracles, though, simply to, you know, sort of be the dancing monkey on stage for people. He's he's not there to entertain. He's not there to, to, you know, wow skeptics. Here's the point. If Jesus' kingdom is the treasure that brings blessing, then holding Jesus at arm's length is cutting myself off from God. If Jesus is the center of God's work and blessing and good, then holding him back, pushing him off, not listening to him, is cutting myself off from the blessing, the joy, the life that God wants to bring to me. Because Jesus' kingdom is a treasure that brings blessing and ultimately life. That's the last thing we see here. That's a transition back up to this section in verse 47. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. And when it was full, the men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. And in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus' kingdom is a kingdom of life and forgiveness and peace and joy. But it's not as if the alternative is to just, you know, sort of get along okay without it. Like, okay, you know, if I don't have the, you know, the Mickey Mantle rookie card that's worth $50,000 or $100,000, that's fine. I mean, I've still got a nice home and I got a job and I got plenty of other stuff and life will still turn out okay if I don't have that particular treasure. It's okay if, you know, Jesus works for you, but I've got other stuff and that works for me. No, Jesus is painting a very stark contrast here that, that has been occurring over and over through Matthew's gospel. There are two roads, two gates, one that is narrow that leads to life and one that is broad that leads to destruction. There's two foundations for your life, a rock on which you can build and your life will stand or shifting sand that will lead to destruction and ruin. We saw last week these these different types of soil that the seed of God's word goes out to and some produces fruit and some is barren and worthless. And here Jesus says you either have the wonderful, joy-giving treasure of his kingdom or you face a life and an eternity of emptiness and sorrow and regret. It's not like there's you know, a, a heaven of joy and blessing over here and a hell of suffering and sorrow and regret over here. And in the middle, there's you know, sort of like a hack. It, it's, it's sort of mediocre. It's like lukewarm. And, you know, if I don't end up over here, I'll be okay, because I'll just sort of end up in the lukewarm place. Jesus is saying, no, there's only two outcomes. There's only two options. There's no third category. This is is not a, a scare tactic. It is a gracious reality check from Jesus, who wants us to hear, but because his kingdom is not just one option among many, it's the thing. Jesus is saying, I am the dividing point of history and reality and eternity. And you've got to decide what you do with someone who says something like that. 
It is the kingdom of God that Jesus is inviting us into. And one day that kingdom will be all in all and over all and rule over all. It will rule over all of our little kingdoms that we sometimes want to create and live in and reign over for ourselves. Jesus' kingdom is not here yet in its fullness. But one day when Jesus returns, it will appear in its blazing glory and beauty and all other kings and kingdoms will bow down and worship either joyfully or regretfully. And it can't be any other way. I mean, if we think about it, I mean, if God is just, if God's going to bring about justice on earth, there has to be judgment. He's going to bring evil and wrong to account. If there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth where righteousness and peace reign, then there must be a day of God's good and holy judgment. And tragically, those who are outside his kingdom, those who refuse to bow the knee and come through the narrow gate of humility and repentance and faith into his kingdom, those who are committed to still saying, I will do it my way. I will be in charge. I will decide for myself. Will find themselves forever separated from the God who is the source of all light and life and joy. Jesus takes this picture from everyday life, the, the fisherman going out with a, with a big drag net that just scoops up all of the fish. And some of the ones are worth keeping, and some of the ones are not. And Jesus says that's a picture of the end of the age, where God's angels will separate the evil from the righteous. And the righteous are not the ones who have lived good lives and followed the rules and obeyed enough. The righteous are the ones who are in Jesus' kingdom because they've recognized they're broken and humble and needy. And they've simply said, Jesus, I need you. And I want to live under your rulership, not mine. I want you to be Lord of my life, not me. That's what it means to be righteous. It means to have Jesus' righteousness credited to you because you've given up trying to be good enough on your own. And for those who refuse that, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth and regret and pain. And it's a terrible reality. But what Jesus paints here is the dark background of our sin and our brokenness that makes the treasure of his kingdom shine so brightly. That's what he wants you to see. That outside of him, our hearts, our lives are broken, tangled messes, and we know it. We know the darkness is there. And Jesus is saying, oh, come into my kingdom of light and life. That's what makes the kingdom of heaven so precious. Because we, we find it knowing that apart from Jesus, we have no hope. We have no righteousness. We have no life. And we hear the free and gracious welcome of Jesus saying, come to me. Come to me and lay down the burden of your self-righteousness and your self-directed projects towards being your own kings over your own kingdoms. And come into my kingdom. 
because I have life and blessing. And, and when you find that, it will redirect everything in your life towards that kind of life and joy that you were made for. Now, you may be thinking, maybe all of us are thinking, that's not exactly what my life looks like. Probably all of us feel it at one level or another. And for some of you, that may be because you've never come into Jesus' kingdom. You've never acknowledged that he is the Savior and the King that you need. If that's you, you can come to him today. Oh, and, and I stand here on behalf of Jesus imploring that you would do that today. That, that you would acknowledge hearing this loving warning that there's no life apart from him, that you would say, Jesus, I want you. I, I give you my sin and my brokenness and, and my love for being in charge and, and I lay it down and I take up you and I take your forgiveness and your life. Turn, turn from that and come to him to find the treasure that will reorient your life and fill you with blessing so that you can be a blessing to others. Maybe you already know Jesus. Maybe you're already a disciple, a follower of him, but, but maybe you, you don't really resonate with this idea of this overwhelming joy of laying everything down to have Jesus because, I mean, honestly, we all live in this tension, right, of wanting to be in control and, and loving some of the things that I think if I could just have them, then I would be happy. And, and Jesus doesn't seem quite as joyful as, as what he's picturing here. This, this man is saying, I'll give up everything to have Jesus. And that's where we all live, right? Like in the reality of living in this world, but not of this world. Maybe Jesus is in the storeroom of your heart in some sense, but there are other treasures there and other things that we value that, that compete for your joy and your love and your heart. Or, or maybe you really struggle with the sacrifices and the reorientation that Jesus is calling you to. And the answer for all of us is the same. It's to come back to Jesus, to just acknowledge it. To just say, Jesus, I need you. Oh, Jesus, enlarge my heart to treasure you, especially in contrast to all the other things that call out to me, that, that seem to offer life and joy and satisfaction. Just recognizing that that's what's going on is the first step. To come back to Jesus and to say, Jesus, you are the treasure. See, the, the, the real question for all of us in, in this whole passage is what these people in Nazareth say. Who does he think he is, in essence? Who does he think he is? It's not really the question. The question is, who do you think he is? Because Jesus knows who he is. He's the king. He's the savior. He's the Lord. He's the friend. He's the gracious shepherd. He's the righteous judge. Who do you think he is? Because if Jesus really is king, and he's inviting me into a kingdom that's worth everything, what do I do with that? How does that change me? How does that shape me? What is it that I keep letting get in the way of me pursuing Jesus and making him the treasure? Because if he really is the king and he really is the treasure, then, then I really want to 
Ask him to help me pay attention to the things that, that pull me away from spending time with him, with valuing him, with treasuring him, and finding his joy in his life. It's a kingdom that brings us to a joyful reorientation because it brings blessing and life out of the joyful sacrifice of the king who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, so that he could sit down at the right hand of the Father in majesty. That's why he's the king and why we aren't and never will be. But as the writer of the Hebrew says, as we look at him, as we fix our eyes on Jesus, we throw off everything that hinders and the sin that entangles us and we run with perseverance. The, the course that God has marked out for us for the joy, for the joy set before us in Jesus. Fix your eyes on him the riches of his kingdom, on the life that he offers, on the blessing that he will pour into you and out from you into others and the life that he offers you now and forever. Because Jesus' kingdom is the treasure that's worth everything. Let me pray for us. Oh, Heavenly Father, thank you for the time that we've been able to spend in these chapters of Matthew's gospel. Thank you for these parables, these stories of Jesus that teach us about your kingdom. And Father, we acknowledge there's so many things that often take Jesus' place in our hearts, things that we treasure, even just our own love of wanting to be in charge and have our own kingdoms. Father, we ask that you'd fill our hearts again, or, or for some of us, maybe the first time, with a deep, transforming joy, knowing that in Jesus we have the greatest treasure. Help us, Lord, not to just leave that treasure in the storeroom, but to bring it out, to flow out of our lives that many people would come to see and find the treasure of Jesus through us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.